0: Hi, I'm Lauren Denning, and welcome to my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore the LDS scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. I'm a long-time gospel doctrine teacher, sometime institute and seminary teacher, and a current theology student. My friends and I are often discussing history, context, and theology, and thought that you might appreciate it too. I think of it as a bridge between academic and inspiration. However, these opinions are my own and not an official representation of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks again for listening, and I hope this will be a blessing to you on the road to discipleship. Welcome back. I'm Lori, the 20-Minute Scriptorian. Well, we're all 20-Minute Scriptorians, and welcome back. We are headed into the very meaty section of Revelation, the book of Revelation, and I've spent a bunch of time jumping in and doing some additional study. And so join me as we head into the actual verses themselves in the revelation of Jesus. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. We are just a few weeks away from Christmas, one of the best times of the year to celebrate the Savior and the gift of the Savior to us. And so it is an exciting year, but odd uh, in some ways that we do the book of Revelation, but maybe it's not. So... Anyway, just Merry Christmas to all of you. This has been a gift to be able to do this uh, study and come follow me. And I'm appreciative of all the great feedback and, and doing this with you guys. So let's jump in. We have already done two lessons on uh, the background and overview and structure and tone and things like that. And so I just want to get right in. And we just have so much to do. We'll probably do a couple of these. So in one thing to think about as we jump in is that I... I think there's a famous quote from Joseph Smith that says it's the plainest. Re- Book of Revelation is the plainest of all the books. And I've thought a lot about that. i was like, like, plain? Is it plain? It doesn't – I don't know that it's super plain or what does he mean by that. I always get that feeling like it's easy for me to understand and hard for you. Um, and he's prophet, so that makes sense. And then other times I'm like, maybe he's telling us something. Maybe they're telling us that we're overlooking the mark or we are making it too hard or um, – I don't know that it needs to be we need to be so spiritually attuned or there's some secret knowledge maybe it's a little more obvious than that. So and I think I think that that might be a little bit true. So let's see let's jump in and I want to, to instead of looking into you know the seven seals and the seven bowls and the whatever and the beast that comes out of the ocean and just what does it mean what does it mean Let's start and see if we don't see what the big picture of the story is and see if it doesn't make a little bit more sense, okay? So what we'll do is go through the first couple of verses, and then I'm going to do really through chapters three. Um, I'll just do kind of glide by, and I'll explain the letters to the seven churches and some of the instructions they get. We may do one of them as an example. And then I want to jump into what I think is part of the highlight is four and five. So chapters four and five are a- amazing and I think that is just such a key to understanding what's going on and that's probably as far as we'll get today so let's jump in to chapter one and Murphy the dog says hi as always she for some reason hates when I'm talking on the microphone so she always you'll hear crying in the background thanks Murphy okay revelation one so I'm gonna read this section again and what i want you to listen for as we go through it is just kind of the overview it is the big introduction it is spoiler alert the story the point of the story i think is told here in the first few verses just really through verse eight revelation of jesus the messiah god gave it to him to show his servants what soon must soon take place He signify it by sending a message through his angel to his servant, John, who, by reporting all he saw, bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus, the Messiah. God's blessing on the one who reads the words of this prophecy and on those who hear them and keep what is written in them. The time you see is near. John, to the seven churches in Asia, grace to you and peace from he who is and he who was and who was is to come and from the seven spirits that are before his throne and from Jesus the Messiah, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Glory to the one who loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. Glory and power be to him forever and ever. Amen. Look. He's coming with the clouds and every eye shall see him. Yes, even those who pierced him, all the tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So we talked about this last time, but I wanted to start with it because, again, we get this idea that this is the revelation of Jesus, this is the revelation of the Messiah, and God gives it to him to show to his servants uh, what must soon take place. And he sends this angel this uh, to give this message to John so that he can bear witness uh, that Jesus of Jesus the Messiah and the testimony. So blessings to everybody who's going to get this, and and remember that that's kind of the point. And that is the spoiler alert that in the end, I think the if we underline it say, what was the point? It's going to be God wins. Jesus is the victor and God wins. Okay. So that's, we talked about that a little bit last time, but just a reminder that, um, this is going to be the, the point of the story. God wins. Jesus is the victor. Okay. Got it. Um, let's move on then to the next little section. So the next section, uh, we read, oh, sorry. The next section we see that John is the writer, and he's he says he's in the spirit on the Lord's day, so it's on a Sunday, and he is, he hears, uh, he has a vision, right? So he says, I hear, you hear a couple times, he keeps hearing something, and it says, he looks behind me, a voice, and it's like a trumpet, and he looks and he sees, and it says, write down what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, and then he lists the seven churches. And it says, and I turned around, right? He, see, he hears the voice, so he turns to see who's talking to him, And he sees, and he sees the lampstands, and in the middle, one like the Son of Man. And he's wearing a full-length robe, a golden belt across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool and white like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like exquisite brass, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand, it says he has seven stars. And then there's a sharp-edged sword coming out of his mouth. And the sight of him was like sun that just shines with full power. And obviously, if you were to see something like that, what does John do? He falls at his feet like, uh, like he was dead, it says. And then uh, the man reaches down with his right hand and says, don't be afraid. He says, I'm the first and the last and the living one. And I was dead. And look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I have the keys of death and, and of Hades. Now write what you see, both the things that already are and the things that are going to happen afterwards. And then he tells him, and the secret meaning of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, by the way, and the seven lampstands is this. They're the angels of the seven churches, uh, the stars, and the seven lampstands are the churches themselves. So there is this vision of of Christ being, uh, just introducing us to the way John writes. So it's like someone in a strange dream or something that's kind of overwhelming right we want to kind of uh, try to imagine the big picture right of a painting or the of a vision don't get too caught up on any one thing try to take in the big picture and so when he's trying to describe it it's not a simple thing that he's describing right so the first thing he says is he hears his voice like a trumpet and then he turns to see it and and just um it's Jesus who, that he sees, right, which makes sense because he's the living word, he's the voice, and then you see this visible sword coming out of his mouth, which is a prophecy, right, of of Isaiah about a coming king um, in 11.4, and then you also, the suffering servant, and so there's this A lot of that you're going to see in the vision of ideas that are going to be made visible. So scripture made real. And so you'll, so there's a lot, they just have to be soaked in these scriptural references. So if you really want to try to dig into what these things mean, like the two-edged sword, it's right, his his words are cutting, they are a commandment, they are a covenant, uh, you'll see those kinds of things. But it's just soaked in scripture. So watch for that the other couple things that he draws together and we're going to see it right from the get-go is these visions and the one we mentioned was daniel 7 um, also exodus isaiah ezekiel Zechariah. but daniel is one of john's favorites so reread daniel 7 if you want to see that vision but we see that there is this um one like the son of man right it's taking a seat representing god and then there's god seated there and he's Uh, enthroned alongside of him so the picture is kind of merging so hold the picture in your mind this this idea of this throne um and then uh but on this case he's going to turn and he's going to see these this person and this person is the eyes of flame that search you out and this thunder and then a hand reaching out right of course you would be afraid um if you're suffering your people are suffering and the times are strange but here is here is god who is going to uh, who is there and is powerful. So if you were in the first century or now, you might feel alone, you might feel persecuted, and yet, you know, God may seem far away and distant. And yes, while you turn and you see him, he's overwhelming at the same time I love that. Don't be frightened, right? I'm right here, and he reaches out his hand. So he also gives us his credentials, right? I was He was dead, and I'm alive forever. He has the keys of death and Hades. I have him right here. There's nothing to worry about. I'm in charge, right? I have the keys. So this all requires a fair amount of faith. So as we learn about the way that John is going to open all this, kind of um, think of this. It's Jesus who is this overwhelming, kind of mind-blowing, powerful character, but he's gentle and he's caring. And it's through Christ that we're going to see the Father, right? We're going to see that Christ has spoken and he still speaks and he's going to explain what's going on in the present, but he is also going to warn us of the future. Okay. So that's just the setting that we're going to find ourselves in. Um, So let's, let's jump into what these first revelations are. So there are a number of letters. You you with me still far? We still okay? All right. So think big picture. Think Christ is going to win. John is seeing this revelation it's going to be steeped in scripture so it helps if you know the other scripture but if you don't that's okay just kind of take the image just take in the whole image of what's happening and kind of get the feel and I think we'll be on track okay so these letters so there are seven churches we've talked we we haven't talked about this actually but the different new numbers uh you'll see seven is a good number of creation the days of creation um, and the Sabbath, and a lot of times it has perfection, or creation, or completeness, so you'll see a lot of sevens. In this case, there were obviously more than seven churches at the time, but if you're thinking seven churches, this would be all churches, or the complete church, so these, yes, are specific, but they also might be representative of the church as a whole, so if you were to read through these and say, what is this letter about? There's going to be some some warnings, right? And there are going to be some good things they're doing. And there's going to be some calling out uh, to the members. And so, if we are the members today, then what can we kind of extrapolate? If it's not just to the letter in Ephesus, it's going to be to us too. So, so. As you go through what I would do on these next, we don't have time to go through much of this, but I would look at each one and say, what are they trying to say is happening? What are the cautions? What are the blessings? What are the goods and bads? It's almost like, here's what you're doing right here's what you're doing wrong. And then can we do anything with that? Okay, so... The first letters to Ephesus and you're going to see that there's going to be some cautions to Ephesus some things that they're doing well um, and there's only one thing I really want to draw out is uh, there in verse 5 and the 7 it says that there's a place uh, for those who repent and for those who conquer right for, there's a place in, in heaven there's a place in salvation for those but and they will get to eat from the tree right the tree of life so we see we it immediately pulls us back to creation right to eden to a place when heaven and earth met and so i want you to remember that because that's how the story is going to end as well so as you remember in the book of genesis when it started out it started out that this creation there was this tree of life and this paradise and at the very end we're going to see that heaven and earth are again going to meet a new jerusalem is going to come down um and really it's the idea isn't okay let me take a step back here One thing it's really critical to understand, sometimes we think of heaven being far away or someplace we go to or it's up in the heavens. And you'll see that's not really very scriptural, right? You'll see that it's here. It's, It's here almost on a different plane or a different something. And so as the veil is pulled back, we can see what's really happening. And so we're gonna see in chapter four, they pull the veil back and they look and you're seeing right into God's counsel. And they're not looking... To a faraway place. They're they're looking here. And at the very end of Revelation, it's when heaven and earth shall meet, right? It's the city of Enoch, the new Jerusalem. uh, It's all here. It's going to be here. It's not someplace distant. It's distant from what we act like and, and different conditions. But it isn't a faraway place. It's just some place we are maybe spiritually far away from. So sometimes the veil is thin, and we hear that a lot, right? The veil was very thin, and I could kind of see or these thinning places in the world. And it's, it's here. It's here close by. And so if we can just welcome it back in when when heaven and earth will meet, and so uh, we're going to peek through the veil to what's going on where God's really in charge and what he's doing to control the world now, what's he's doing to help us, and then what's the plan to kind of wrap it all up in the end? That's the great unveiling. That's the great revelation. And so he talks about that here. There's this tree of paradise. And this tree in paradise um, that it's for us. The tree of life was there in the garden, and it will be replanted many times over. At the Garden City, the New Jerusalem. We're going to see that in chapter twenty-two. So. Ephesus has got some things to work on. It's saying, like, good job on these things, but it's easy to kind of let things slip as well. So one of, they're getting some persecutions and some things, so saying how to conquer. To the letter to Smyrna, another city, again, something similar. You're going to see some things they're doing right, and you're going to see some things that maybe they're doing wrong, and thereby we can probably say the same thing we're doing, okay? Then you go to the letter to Pergamum. Pergamum, you have some, uh immorality and idolatry going on. They tend to go together, right? As we um uh we see so often. And so you'll see there's kind of a cultural assimilation problem. So in some cases they're being persecuted. In some person there's apathy. In other places it's assimilation. So you're gonna see that. So Pergamum has some some problems. And then Thyatira has some different ones. So they're saying, hey, here's some stuff to be uh, to work, worry about is being maybe pulled away or taught wrong doctrines. Um, and, and yet there's a chance to be this royal priesthood. Um, and so, again, things to caution there. Then to Sardis, you're going to see another one, a city that you used to think they were this impregnable city, and they were finally conquered by the Persians. So it would have been the thing they were famous for is when you think you're safe, right? You might not be. So they had this reputation, though, of being um, this vibrant, uh, big community, but there was in the background this history that they had had. And so um, one of the concerns that you're going to say is uh, that they're going to have is, you know, being alive and, and. Uh, repenting and this vibrant, you're almost too vibrant. You're you're stumbling from some of these issues. Um, Let me keep going. Philadelphia. So, uh, that's about all that I want to say there. There's a lot in each of these. So we could go uh, Laodicea. We've talked about that before. It's very rich, so they had a tendency to kind of be apathetic right like "Eh, we're doing all right we don't need any help so a couple of things that happen in each of these is they have a chance to be persecuted they have a chance they are maybe sinning or apathy or assimilation right just getting used to the wrong teachers or um, becoming like those around us and just you know be not really walking in the path of discipleship anymore and that's what you're going to see over and over again in these letters so as you go through the letters see what you can pick up in each one, but you're going to just see the same themes. Okay, boy, we're almost out of time, so I'm going to have to do this in two different breakdowns. So let me do one here, in we'll just do the last one, then since we're here. So let's do Laodicea. So Laodicea was very rich, had a lot of traffic, banking, had a medical school that was famous for healing your eyes, an eye thing. Uh, it also had some particular wool, they were black uh, wool, and so they would make these famous black wool clothes, and so it was very rich, so think of it as rich, and it was um, a little bit like, we don't need your help, like, we're good, uh, was kind of the attitude there, so clothes were important, their exports were important, again, medical school, stuff like that. Uh, the one thing that they did not have was good water, so from one area, the water would come down from hot springs, and it was very hot, but by the time it got down to the city, it was lukewarm, Then on the other side of the city, there was a river that came in and it was cool. But by the time it made it to the city, because it's Turkey and it's hot, um, it would be lukewarm. It was a very small stream by the time, sometimes dried up. So they have all these things, but at the same time, they don't have life-giving water. It just is either salty or lukewarm on both cases. It came in hot, came in cold, but by the time I got there, lukewarm. So they uses this analogy of don't be lukewarm, right? like, pick something. In fact, the Lord's pretty strong on this. Like, don't be apathetic, I think. You've got this life-giving gospel in your lives, and don't just take it for granted. Be cold or be hot, but don't be either one. So, it says he's, like, vomits it out. Uh, So, don't, he's just not about, the Lord's not about being apathetic, right? He wants us to jump in additionally remember they wore these black clothes and he's going to give them the lord says he's going to give them some fine clothes and they'll be white which we remind ourselves were usually worn at things like baptism and they signify you know these white robes a new calling a new assignment a new commitment a new holiness to a new life in christ so they were being reminded i'll give you white robes of your new life not these rich robes of, of this famous wool Uh, so, so you'll see all of them. If you kind of know what's going on in the cities, it helps a little bit, but even if you don't, you can kind of say, I get what's happening. Additionally, there's a scripture in here just to finish up. It's the, uh, uh, I'm, I'm knocking, I'm standing here knocking at the door. We've all heard dozens of talks on this and they're beautiful and they're wonderful and vital and absolutely true that the Lord is knocking and we have to let him in. Uh, but if you don't read this, you're missing part of the story. This is Christ as the bridegroom and he's coming home to his bride and if you knock on the door he lets him in and at the end he will let them come in and eat with them and 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 we would eat with him our our christian meal our sacrament right we let him in as the bridegroom uh, and we are the bride and so it's not just we need to let him in our hearts that's great but it's the symbol of the bridegroom arriving All right. That's it for now. I'm going to go right on and do another one. And we'll jump into chapters four and five, the vision, because this is the best part.